Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Sam Halpern in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to your weekly tennis podcast, where there is much to get into, not least a Strava living up to its very many exclamation marks, which uh, takes some doing, folks. Thank you to Sam, who you heard there introducing the show. Sam is in Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin, which I've just Googled. Uh, And David, you know how Google uh, gives you a, a suggested question and answer section when you google something uh well i've got is whitefish bay wisconsin a good place to live and google says whitefish bay is in milwaukee county and is one of the best places to live in all of wisconsin living in whitefish bay offers residents a sparse suburban feel and most residents own their homes in whitefish bay there are lots of restaurants coffee shops and parks sounds utopian yeah i'm up for it we're on our way, Sam. <laughs> See you there. <laughs> yeah, that's not how uh, that's not how London feels just now. Is that how Solly Hole feels? It's just it's, now? it's lovely and blue sky and sunny weather today in sunny Solly Hole. Um, so yeah, I'm all right here at the moment. Matt, how is Richmond? I'm not going to be too detailed about your new location because <laughs> the fans will come. <laughs> screaming at your windows but matt has new digs yes hello hello i have i have fled the nest and uh am in my new flat and first first run at my new zoom station i was a bit worried i got this mirror behind me i thought it was going to look extremely weird on the zoom but actually you've both you've both told me it's okay so um we've did you passed. think it would all get extremely meta sort yeah. of zooms within zooms within zooms <laughs> that's exactly what i thought was going to be happening no, it looks great, Matt. I can see your 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 swanky decor from here. <laughs> uh, it suits you. It uh, it Richmond suits you. And Billie Jean is delighted with the news that Matt lives now just down the road. Um, Astrava, folks. Let's let's waste no more time before we head to Astrava. Because it was a sensational week in the Czech Republic. The title won by Barbora Krejčíková. She beat Iga Svantec 5-7, 7-6, 6-3 in three hours and 16 minutes in yesterday's final. She's done the impossible. She's taken a set off Iga Svantec in a final and she's only gone and done it twice. She got two of them. That is how impenetrable... The world number one, Iga Svantec, has been in finals. She's not been losing sets. She's barely been losing games. If you look at the run of set scores through the finals she's played, dating back to, I think, 2019, Matt, which, you know, is sort of before Iga Svantec came the Iga Svantec that we now know. She has been untouchable in finals. And Barbora Krejčíková not only touched her, not sure where this is going. Uh, 
plan an analogy before you before you start it, Catherine. Uh, but she she wrestled her off the court and somehow got over the line, and it was an extraordinary final. It was thrilling, really was. Uh, it feels like one of one of tennis's universal laws has been has been broken with Igor Swiatek losing a final, as you said, this incredible streak. And she started the final really well. She filmed it. She was 5-1 up in, in that first set. And then Krikshikova just has this way of dragging matches out. And that, and that sounds like a real negative. But actually what she does is she, she gets a grip on a match and extends rallies, makes them quite, quite grueling. And I think she just... She just competed with Sviontek in a way that I think a lot of players haven't been able to do, both from a tennis perspective and also just from a kind of belief perspective. Because, you know, Craig Chikova is a Grand Slam champion and she's confident coming off the title in Tallinn last week. And she was able to just live with Sviontek. And it just developed into this incredibly high-quality, grueling match. Um, And... In the end, it sort of boiled down to this absolutely epic final game with Craig Shikova having multiple match points and serving brilliantly, but Sviontek able to fend them off and coming up with these incredible winners to save match point after match point. I think Craig Shikova eventually won it on her sixth with an ace. That was the only way it was going to end because there was just absolutely no chance of Sviontek losing any of these rallies. And I think... Yes, Sviontek's lost this final, but she also proved how difficult she is to beat in a final because Krejcikova had to play pretty much at her absolute maximum level for over three hours and she just about got there. But it was it was a sensational match and all played in this incredible atmosphere as well because Ostrava is uh, so close to the, to the Czech-Polish border. So there were hundreds thousands of fans in there for both players and it just it just generated a brilliant brilliant spectacle that's such a good point Matt makes David isn't it that that the the bar for how good Svantec is in finals has not moved the bar for how well she plays in finals has not moved she played brilliantly yesterday it's just we finally found someone that on their day is able to 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 meet that bar and just about pole vault over it. And I wonder if it's something of the the disruptor in Krejcikova that made that possible. She has got a bit of the, you know, well, I don't care who's down the other end of the court. I don't care how many sets you've won in a row in finals. I'm Barbora Krejcikova and everybody's always underestimated me. So I don't give any hoots at all. Mm, yeah, she's different critique of it in in just about every way i think from the rest of the field of competitors she 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 always seems older to me she seems like a grown-up mm. like a a woman in a teenage world and uh i i like the way she hits the ball because she doesn't doesn't feel like she hits it, it feels like she strokes it mm. uh it's all one big fluid swish on both sides and no matter how hard you hit the ball at her she will just swish through it with this lovely timing there's no kind of staccato hitches in the strokes at all and and if she's in form she's her timing just redirects that power back onto the person that has thrown it down her direction in the first place and and that that is the bit that i'm confused about is form where does form come from because she, she did an interview on the wta website after this final and she said i i don't know why i've suddenly hit form i've had to, you know she's won two tournaments in two weeks she's beaten the best players in the world and how how do you find that how do you how do you go from playing okay or not playing very well to suddenly playing that level where she's beating Iga Svantec, who's playing well herself? I just I don't understand, but it's a lovely sight, and it reminds me of when she won the French Open and she was wearing using that fluorescent racket of hers at that time, and and she looked like she's playing with this lightsaber uh, out on the court and. Yeah, I love watching her play, and I'm just—I mean, she's had good results this year in doubles, but 
had that horrible elbow injury. Um, just really pleased to see her back at the top playing well because just, you know, she might not be the greatest storyline in the world for a kind of media uh, focus because she's not just an obvious headline. She's not a sort of uh, an 18-year-old who's suddenly burst onto the scene and is all exciting, but she's a joy to watch if you care about the sport, if you just enjoy the sport for what it is. And and I th- I think I, li- I, I like the way she comes across too. I've had people in my mention saying she should be on the backhand list. Well, that was my next question, Matt, because th- there were... There were great forehands on show yesterday on, on both sides of the court. They both got similar forehands in some way, and it's a very big stroke production, isn't there? There's a lot going on there, and it's you know very effective for for both Shontek and Krejcikov. I haven't looked up the numbers, but I suspect the the forehand winners' numbers um, are higher than the backhands. But it was the backhands that caught my eye, and they've both got quite different motions on the backhand to on the forehand a, a very much quicker motion and I sort of I, I from both of them and in particular Krejcikova I suppose because I've just seen less of her play in the last year or so you know I'm very I've watched so much Iga Svantec in 2022 that sort of quick quick arm and the sort of the surprise element of it I don't know I don't know where that shot is going, mm. and that must be how the opponent feels as well. How 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 do you do you take the submission? Is it under review? It is under review, as you know. It's always the backhands which which catch my eye, and I was also thinking, gosh, yeah, Craig Chikova's backhand really is good. And you're right. I think it's just that it's not been present in our in our minds so much this season because Craig Chikova hasn't had such a strong season, certainly in, in singles anyway. Um, but it, it is a lovely shot. I love the way she just holds it for a split second and then can either hit it down the line or cross court. And it's very, very hard to read. She can take it early. I thought she took the Sviontek second serve, which we have seen as, as a little bit attackable if you're playing really well. And, and, and she did that well. Yeah, put it this way, it is under consideration because it is it is a great shot. I bet who do you who do you bump out? Anyway, that's that's for me to decide. That is your problem, <laughs> Matt. And judging by your face, it's a problem that you're delighted to have. Would you consider at all uh, in extending the backhand list? Because what is it, five players? No, 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 that's no, a no, cop no. out, no, isn't no. it? No, total cop out. Yeah, you're you're Joe Biden making more seats on the Supreme Court, David. <laughs> sets a precedent. Can see the appeal in the moment, but sets a dangerous precedent. Um, <clears throat> could this be the rivalry? I know I'm obsessed with rivalries, but I really feel like after scenes of. Nadal and Federer holding hands, sobbing together. I, I, I never again have to explain why I'm so obsessed with rivalries. Could could this be the one or one of the ones? I tweeted that yesterday from the pod account and lots of people replied saying, this is Catherine, isn't it? Asking about rivalries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm obsessed. Yeah. But, you know, see uh, Federer and Nadal sobbing. Reason to be obsessed. I... I, I struggle to to believe that it is because i i think it's one of no sorry (laughs) i mean i just feel like it's who invited this guy how many times have we said that about osaka and and goff and i just think it's probably one of half a dozen really compelling matches that we're going to see hope you know fitness permitting but are they are we really to expect that these two are going to keep on getting to the the final when there are all those other good players around? I mean, Sviantec, yes, she's proved that, but I, I, I think I would need a lot more evidence. But beating Sviantec in a final is big and it is different. It is very crucially something that that none of those players you listed, David, have have come close to achieving. That is, it is a step forward in the in the gradual edging towards <laughs> a rivalry. I think it's hard to imagine them playing 
loads and loads of times i suppose is what is what david's saying you know mm. like we've you know rivalries recently certainly in men's tennis have meant 20 30 40 matches between players maybe we don't need that we just need a few a year maybe and for them to be good and i'm confident now that matches between Craig Shikova and Sviantek will be close because i do think Craig Shikova disrupts Sviantek in a way that other players can't they met in they met in Rome last year just before Craig Shikova won the French Open and Sviantek won saving match points so that's that's two really close matches that they've had um so i'm confident that that, that, that their matches will be good i just am maybe not so confident that we're going to get it week in week out uh, but if we can get get to where we were with sort of Barty and Sabalenka last year yep we'll accept that, would, that. I Look, would accept that Sinner and Alcaraz uh, feel, feel yep. like a rivalry that is becoming a rivalry yes and they've played I'm looking several... for more David I'm being greedy yes but but <laughs> I, want, I feel like that more I can see those two getting through draws to meet each other more often and that's where that's the reservation. It's it's. I agree with I agree with Matt. And you put Krishikova up against Shvantec, and it's a match I want to see. That's something that should have the ingredients. It's just whether whether they can get through the the other players. I felt mm. like Shvantec in in the speeches, which were lovely. They were both sort of full of praise for each other. Krishikova joined in the standing ovation for Shvantec, and then. Sviantek said really nice words about Craig Shikova and, and I felt she was sort of hinting that she wants a bit of a rivalry there. You know, she said it's it's great to have you sort of back at the top. And I think I think Sviantek will know that okay, she lost that match, but having a rivalry can can lift you up, you know, and I think they brought the best out of each other. Not that Sviantek sort of needs anyone to bring the best out of her, as we've seen all season, but at some point she might. And I think, I think she recognises that it that it would be cool to have one there. Tennis podcast listener, perhaps, or just a person that watched Federer Nadal <laughs> sobbing while holding hands again. No, no words needing. And there were there were tears in the um, in the speeches here, weren't there? Very um, very emotional. Igish Fiontek, in particular, Matt. Yeah, most of the speech wasn't in English. I wasn't actually sure what was being said, but um, it came out that she said that she um, had donated her prize money to charity for Mental Health Awareness Week, which is something she did last year. And last it was during Indian Wells, that very weird time when Indian Wells was, was on during October. Um, I was thinking, has Mental Health Awareness like, Week that moved? Feels like a different life. Yeah, no, it was just that Indian Wells was in this position last year and everything was strange. But that's that's a great thing, I think, that Iga Svantec has mm. done. And and she was emotional. I think it was, you know, it was a it was a new experience for her losing losing a final. I'm sure she was pretty protective and wanting to keep up that streak. You know, that's that was something I think she really valued how well she plays in finals but then at the same time as we said it's not like she played badly in this final they are both Svantec and Krochikova slated to play this week Svantec is the top seed in San Diego she is drawn to face either Elena Rabakina or Garbina Muguruza in her first match she'll have a bye in the first round so Rabakina Muguruza a first round match in San Diego, where the draw is absolutely ridiculous. We'll talk about that more a little bit later on in the show. Um, and Krejcikova, oh, has withdrawn. I'm just seeing that Krejcikova has withdrawn. She was supposed to be the top seed at the uh, Transylvania Open, which I, I think, you know, Krejcikova's played back-to-back weeks now and won back-to-back weeks. It's it's obviously a great shame for, for that tournament, but surely the right and practically inevitable thing for for her to do it's probably a little too late for her to make a run at getting into the WTA finals as well Mm. I haven't haven't quite looked at the numbers on that but I would imagine she would need to win probably a couple more tournaments even to have a to have any chance I feel like to do that real back to back to back thing at this stage of the season you have to have a 
a goal, a carrot dangling mm. in front of you, don't you? You need to have, you know, the eighth squeak, squeaky into the eighth place in the, the finals or you need the world number one position as Andy Murray had in 2016. You've got to have some fuel mm. because, you know, the literal fuel is the tank is empty. I mean, she's she's about twentieth at the moment, uh, Krishikova, and and whilst there are players that won't be there, she yeah she's not going to be able to make that. Um, but um, I, and I think you've got to be a bit careful, haven't you? Because going straight over to San Diego is a long way. It's a big time change. Everything else going to be a fantastic tournament. That, uh, but yeah, you can't you can't play and win everything. Um, I'd be surprised if Shantek played now, to be honest mm. with you. But maybe she will. The doubles title in Ostrava uh, was won by, might be my last chance to, to say that, so I, I went big. It was won by Katie McNally and Alicia Parks. Um, uh, Alicia Parks also had a good run in singles, David, which the agenda tells me that you watched. This is David going big on uh, a doubles player well, uh, corner. Who was the last? Was it Louisa Stefani? Yeah. yeah. What a player that Luisa Stefani is. Well, I, let me tell you what a player, <laughs> prospect-wise, Alicia Parks is. Um, tell us. Because, I, honestly, I did not know she'd won the doubles because I'd been concentrating on her singles run. She beat Karolina Pliskova earlier on in the, the tournament. And bear in mind, Pliskova's playing in front of her home fans. And they were silent as she lost the opening set six love to Alicia Parks. And I, I watched the the highlights back this morning. My goodness, does Parks give the ball a crack? She she's got a serve that has been measured at a record equaling 129 miles an hour with Venus Williams, and she's got a huge forehand as well. Um, she's 21 years of age. It's taken her a little while to to kind of make a bit of a breakthrough here. And and again, getting back to my point about form earlier, she said I, I just arrived at the tournament. I had no expectations of necessarily doing much. Um, but she's six foot one inches tall. She's she just threw the kitchen sink at, at Pliskova, won that match. Then she beat Maria Sakkari in a really close third set match, and she she took uh, Krachikova to a tiebreak set in the quarterfinals as well. So she was she was pushing her to the limits uh, for, for a set, and just be really interesting to watch whether she can make that game something that is repeatable. Because in terms of just firepower. She's got the goods. Fifty-nine winners she hit against Zachary in those in those three sets. It was it was a devastatingly good performance. She likes coming forward as well. Really, really comfortable up at the net, and she combined brilliantly with with McNally in the doubles. They beat the first, third, and fourth seeds uh, to win the title, and they were a very late entrant. You know, they they sort of signed up last minute, got in. Uh, Park said that she almost missed her flight to Ostrava. You know, it was all sort of slightly, slightly chaotic, I think. But they just had this this incredible run. And of course, McNally's a really good doubles player, has won a lot of titles and played with a lot of different partners. And um, yeah, I think um, she had a good run in singles as well. She beat Mukova and then pushed Sviantek actually in a, in in a couple of pretty pretty tight sets, which was an interesting match because they know each other from juniors and it, it almost felt like McNally wasn't playing the world number one she was playing someone who she used to beat in juniors and she just she just had real belief about her and lovely game to watch so yeah it was a it was a great week for both of those Americans so then on on a similar theme why and you know I mean relatively here because there are signs that Katie McNally's singles ranking is on on the rise and last week was absolutely a great week but why isn't it quite happening for McNally in singles because every time I watch her I'm really impressed and you know she first came to our attention or worldwide attention didn't she with that match where she almost beat Serena at the US Open in 2019 it was it was the the pre-pandemic US Open she was so impressive obviously didn't quite get over the line, but then she was 17 years old, I think, and through all this variety at Serena, dealt with the occasion and the intimidation so brilliantly. She's got so much to her game. I don't quite understand why it's not happened a little bit more um, than it has so far 
Yeah, I, I, I struggle to to know. I mean, she she's she's different as she goes to the net. It's it's all great to watch and it's probably disruptive to opponents, but maybe it's more difficult to package. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, it's it's surprising. Yeah, maybe me a bit it'll just well. take a bit longer. Hmm. Jabir and and Barty style. That's a that's a good point. I hope so because she's absolutely lovely to watch, Katie McNally, um, and really just lights up the cause I always think when she's there um lastly while we're I'm going to try and linger on Estrava for as long as possible we've learned that Estrava three exclamation marks is the city's official logo uh the heraldic emblem of the city is used exceptionally during official occasions the image of the logo is formed by the name of the city with three exclamation marks, which symbolise the vitality, energy and confidence of the city and its inhabitants. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's actually, um, I looked that up today because I was I was just curious, is this is this a tournament thing? Is this a city thing? Just did, didn't know. And, and actually, the, it, it goes all the way back to 2005. They held a competition and 150 people entered submissions for a new logo and they didn't like any of them. So, so <laughs> in the end, they, so they, they, they held a sort of second stage of it and in came this one and it's on everything. It's on all the, if, all the pens and the shops and it's on the, the sort of, they've got it on everything really. And, uh, and, I, and I, I think it's just so successful it's such an effective way of of making people talk about the city and uh, I love it can you imagine the efforts that were gone to for those submissions <laughs> uh, only for someone to go yeah but it's it's not an exclamation mark is it <laughs> and, and actually thinking back I, I went to Ostrava in 1998 for the ATP tournament that was only there for two or three years uh, as I recall anyway and I'd been to Prague earlier that year and I was so pumped to go to Ostrava because Prague was the most beautiful place I'd ever been to and I went to Ostrava in in November and it was let me tell you it was grim I don't know what the city was like because I didn't get a chance to see any of it in the kind of daylight it was I was at an indoor tournament every time I was uh in the daytime I was in indoors at this at this event anytime it was outdoors it was dark but Andre Agassi was on his comeback trail um at that time and he, he won the tournament um but yeah it was, there was nobody else with him it was basically me and him <laughs> backstage just uh, as he was going from match to match and uh, and winning the tournament but um it, it feels like they've done a brilliant branding job because and and, and actually that tournament looks from afar superb i think on tv it comes across brilliantly great atmosphere i enjoy how much sort of the tennis community as a whole just embraces exclamation marks for a week like everyone's using them in their tweets and i very much enjoyed this morning seeing the wta um put their highlights on on youtube for the final and they've called it Iga Sviantek three exclamation marks versus Barbora Krejcikova three exclamation marks 22 Ostrava three exclamation marks final three exclamation marks highlights three exclamation marks <laughs> it's it's great it's great and i'm going to miss it for the next 51 weeks <laughs> um staying with the wta uh, we also had a tournament uh, for the first time this year in monastir uh, Tunisia, where Ange Jabeur was the home favourite and the top seed. She lost in the quarters to Claire Liu of the United States. The tournament was eventually won by Elisa Mertens, who beat Elise Cornet 6-2, 6-love in the final. Um, it, was a sh- it was a shame, uh, you know, getting to the quarters, an absolutely OK week for, for Ange Jabeur, but it did feel like, this tournament was just a stage for Ange to light up for as long as she possibly could, didn't it? I mean, the atmosphere, we talked about the anticipation of it last week, didn't we? And it did not disappoint. Um, and I'm a little bit upset that we didn't get just a bit more of that, David. Yeah, I, I watched the last um, couple of games of that match that she lost to Claire Liu and, and it was electric because she came up with one or two of her escape artist shots on the stretch you know hitting underspin forehands that nobody else could hit and and things like that and the, the crowd they just love her the, it's just 
total adoration and uh and, and, and understandably so and she, but, but she she was really good was clearly and it was a good win for her but yeah i mean i think that that feels like a a repeatable tournament that is going to grow that that, that the city is going to embrace it more be more aware of it for next time i i i'm quite sure that Ange Gilbert will never get to a point where she thinks i'm too tired to play that tournament she will go and mm. she will play um i'm a, i'm a slightly fuming to see that elise mertens won that tournament given that i did have a long hard look at her in the predictions before i went for born of blum and chorich and uh got nowhere <laughs> I'd go all this way, David, without mentioning the predictions, because that is how magnanimous a person I am. But since you've since you've raised them, thought I'd help you out. Thank you. I picked Krejcikova. That's a good. That's a good. That was a, good, that was a very good like pick. Thank mm. you very much. I, I, I'm always doubtful about going for somebody who's won the week before. I never think that's going to happen. Well, she's a role player, isn't she? Yeah. That's what I decided anyway. Anyway, well done. Uh, the doubles in Monastir was won by Kristina Medenovic, former world number one in doubles, of course, and Katerina Siniakova, current world number one, who, of course, has had almost all of her success with Barbora Krejcikova. Um, this, their first tournament together, is a pair. Um, Siniakova, of course, is, you know, she, she plays a good amount of singles herself and is a, a decent singles player, but, you know, she's always going to have to do this dance, I suppose, with Krejcikova as long as they're a, a partnership, given given how well Krejcikova is playing in singles. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Moving on to ATP tournaments from last week, uh, we had an incredible field in Astana where the tournament was won by Novak Djokovic, his second title in a row. He's done a Krejcikova. He won uh, Tel Aviv last week, of course. Stefanos Tsitsipas, his opponent in the final 6-3, 6-4. The win means Djokovic is now officially qualified for the ATP finals in Turin. Um a big story in the semi-finals was an extremely bizarre retirement from Daniil Medvedev. Um, should we deal with that first before we come on to the final? It was shaping up to be utterly brilliant, this match. Two sets, they they split sets. And then someone tell me what happened. I do not know what happened other than great, great disappointment for Catherine Whitaker. <laughs> I mean, it was... One of the best sets of tennis of the year that I've seen. And it was one of those matches, actually, when you see it on paper and you think, oh, imagine if those two meet. And then it ended up being better than that because you'd got Daniel Medvedev kind of at his best again for those two sets, playing brick wall tennis 
and outdoing Djokovic at that game and to, to the point where Djokovic is accepting that he cannot win or that he's not prepared to go into the the depths that he might need to in order to outlast Medvedev just by playing baseline tennis. So he's just started throwing in a million drop shots. I don't think I've ever seen as many drop shots in a match. It was, it was. You just knew it was coming virtually every point. And then it was fascinating watching Medvedev react and try to come to the net and do do something about it. But I mean, in, in Djokovic's words, and I don't think he was just being polite. He he said at the end that he thought Medvedev was the better player in both sets, and yet Djokovic still managed to turn it around and win the second set on a fantastic tiebreak, win the match. He celebrates wildly. The crowd are going crazy. I'm going wild in my my kitchen as I'm cooking, and I'm thinking can't wait for set three and then the next thing you know Daniel Medvedev's at the net shaking hands with Djokovic who is just looking at Medvedev wide-eyed in disbelief he Medvedev is saying something to him and and Djokovic is just he's so in the moment that he can't quite process what he's being told and why he why the match is over and he looks genuinely gutted about it he looks like he can't wait for the third set to see who's going to get the better of that one as well just as we all are and Medvedev's had enough and he's walking off and um and the interview afterwards Djokovic says quite quite openly I I I don't know why he retired I didn't see anything wrong with him at all it may be slowed down a bit in the last six or seven points of the tie break he said he, he told me he had an adductor muscle and it felt like Djokovic quickly gathered himself mid-answer to say, to, to be kind of decent to Medvedev and say, well, he's a great guy and he, would, he wouldn't tell me that unless it was a problem. But I got the sense that his initial reaction was, I don't see why you've done that. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, but he didn't want to be a bad guy in that way. Um, so, look, I, and I don't know, I have no idea whether Medvedev is badly injured or not. I guess got to take him at face value, but he didn't look injured. It was the most incredible spectacle for two sets and just a heck of a shame. Mm. Medvedev said, it's the second time in my life I retired like this with a pulled muscle. So here on the second point of the tiebreak, I felt a little bit of a strange pop in my adductor. I first thought maybe it is cramp. And after the point, I was like, no, probably not a cramp. And during the tiebreak, I felt I can play like five, ten more points. But that's it. If I play one more set, you can do it. But you can probably miss half a year instead of one month. Well, and look, fair enough. If if he feel if he's that worried about it, I, I I'm not going to say what he does and doesn't feel. Um, and he said, if I won, I would not play the final. Right. So he was like, okay, I just tried to hit some shots. If I manage to win, well, I cannot do anything. I will retire. If I lose, congrats to Novak. He's still in great shape. Good luck to him in the final. I guess he was giving Djokovic the opportunity to sort of win it fair and square in the tie break. Um, I I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a it's a terrible shame, um, and I hope it isn't a, a month even because um, that would make it very much touch and go for the uh, the ATP finals in Turin, wouldn't it? Um, so we'll see. It was a terrible shame, though. Uh, On to the final, Djokovic against Stefanos Tsitsipas. For me, this match played out. It, pretty much exactly as I expected. It felt like a Djokovic match that I'd seen so many times before where he just has this stranglehold on his opponent and he's forcing them to to go for more than they're comfortable with. And yes, you know, Tsitsipas is trying to be the, the, the playmaker and come up with a spectacular and sometimes it's happening. But eventually they they break because there's just too much pressure on them. The the pressure of, of holding serve every time on Stefanos Tsitsipas, it just felt like inevitably only a matter of time before he broke. And the relentlessness and the precision of Novak Djokovic is, it looks at the moment as good as it's, as good as it's ever been, astonishingly. Yeah. You've said it. I mean, there was there was no jeopardy in this match whatsoever. There was not there was not a moment that I thought that Sitsipas was going to win, and that's 
It's not because he was playing badly. I think he had quite a good week, Sitsipas. I think um, reaching a final, you know, is is good. He, he he was playing all right, but Djokovic is just on a different level. And all he required was one break in each set, and he was serving so well. He only lost seven points on serve in the entire match, um, and a flurry of those were in the in the game when he was trying to serve it out, and he was just comfortable. And I think. There was a time where Sitsipas really threatened Djokovic. You know, they they had some brilliant matches in their head to head, but the last couple, Djokovic has has really been pretty pretty superior, to be honest. And yeah, he is so motivated at the moment, Djokovic. It, it, it's actually pretty cool to see him this motivated at a at a two fifty last week and mm. a, a five hundred this week because it's just something we haven't seen that much. Not that not that he's been tanking these events, but he's just been honest about, you know, where where his motivation is and how much he can push it all the time. And at the moment he's so fresh and I think he's just he's just playing really well. I mean he's only lost one match, hasn't he? since Alcaraz beat him in Madrid and that was to Rafael Nadal at the French Open you know it's such a long unbeaten stretch that he's on now Uh, I'm not including the Lever Cup there by the way just uh, noted just for anyone who mentions that Um, and yeah he's he's just in a really good place How, how do we feel about the implementation of this rule that he's qualified for the ATP finals because he's guaranteed to finish in the top 20 as a Grand Slam champion when that Grand Slam this year was Wimbledon, which the ATP effectively said didn't really count as an ATP event because they stripped it of ranking points. It does feel a little bit to me like the ATP has has chosen two lanes there. Like, Yep. They're, it's a mess. It's a mess. And I think I think Djokovic might well end up getting in anyway because I think he's going to play Paris and he'll probably do well there. And look, the ATP finals are better if Novak Djokovic is there. That's that's for sure. But I I don't know. I just don't think it's doesn't sit quite right that they've stripped Wimbledon of ranking points and basically kind of of its ATP status and yet they're still implementing this rule like sort of pick a lane it feels a bit like yeah it's completely inconsistent look we know what happened the the tours pulled the ranking points lever because it was pretty much all they had at their disposal it was all that they could do and as a matter of sort of principle in the in the power dynamics they felt like they had to to do something and i.e that was the something i don't think they did what they did with the ranking points at, at Wimbledon as part of a really thought through this is definitely the 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 best way to go of all available possible options um of how to proceed here and this is kind of the inevitable um outcome down the road of sort of unintended consequences and it, it it's a mess mm. it's a real mess um, just on Stefanos Tsitsipas, is he a better player than he was three years ago, two years ago? I think he's quite similar, really. Mm. I don't think he's regressed personally. I think I don't necessarily think that that's the best scenario for him to play Djokovic, for instance. I think his best chance is always going to come on clay. Um or maybe a hard, high bouncing hard court. I, I know he won the ATP finals. I don't. I, I just don't really think he's regressed. I think he's about the same. I certainly don't think he's got much better. But it, it, that's that's my point. I agree. He hasn't regressed, yeah. but he's the same player, but with some baggage. Yeah, I, I think at, at a at a point in his career, he's lost where some spark. There should, there should have been. That should be sort of max progression. Yeah, on that spark the past three years. point that yeah. Matt makes, because he's not new anymore mm. and he doesn't have the a surprise factor and maybe the excitement factor of just not knowing any limits, really, which he, which he had certainly two, three years ago. Um, I think he still has the same degree of ambition. He, he strikes me as hugely dedicated and motivated. And I think the fact that he, he had Mark Philippoussis 
as part of his team was a good thing. I think that 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 suggests a desire to to improve and get better and find new ways. Um, I think he needs to continue on that sort of road because what's clear is where he is right now is probably going to leave him unsatisfied in his career. Um, uh, maybe on clay, oh, yeah. maybe on clay, he can still with this game do it. But look, he got beaten by Holgaruna this year, who's a very talented lad. But still, you know, he was he was two sets up in the French Open final, wasn't he, a couple of years back? And and I think. Um, there's there's doubt as to whether he'll get himself in that position again at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's become very consistent. You know, he wins a lot of matches. You know, I think the fact that he's already qualified for the ATP finals when I think a lot of us might look at Sitsipas's year and think it's actually been a little bit disappointing, but that would be because we're probably judging him on the slams there. And he's he's been disappointing at the slams. You know, that, that loss to Holgaruna at the French Open when he was in the other half of the draw, really disappointing. And then that complete no-show at the US Open in the first round. Um, so I think he's become consistent. He's found a way to consistently play well, but he's he's just lost that, yeah, that spark, that kind of magic that he had that I felt like he was always dangerous in really big matches. And like I said, I just didn't expect him to beat Djokovic at all. Mm-hmm. Whereas... 18 months ago, a couple of years ago, I, I really would have done. Um, and talk about baggage. I mean, he's got this incredibly curious record in these 500 finals. You know, he's 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 never won one. He's 0-9 in 500 finals. He keeps losing. Yeah. And he, he has had difficult opponents, but um, it does feel like, like baggage, as you said. Last couple of points from Astana. Uh, Alcaraz? Losing uh, in his first match hasn't won a match since the U.S. Open, I think. He won a no. He, he won has. a Davis he won Cup. One. He won a Davis yes, Cup. Yes, won one Davis Cup. Won one, lost one. I think um, hasn't won a tour match, but the, but this was his one and only tour match. Lost to David Goffin um, in straight sets, which is his first straight sets defeat of the year. Do we? Which is do we read anything into it? Is this? Yeah, that that record is unreal. Um, is it completely understandable that Alcaraz would be having this dip post-US Open? Pretty understandable. Makes me think of Raducanu. I think that there are some similarities. He's obviously more established than she was, of course. Uh, but he still reminds me of a, a kind of foal that has won the Grand National um, and, then, and then gone back to learning how to walk about. Um you know he's uh, he's playing against uh, David Goffin, who's just a a kind of seasoned Yannick Sinner type player who who has these very short arm stab strokes taken on the rise, taking the time away, and just making life difficult. And I think Alcaraz is going to probably lose a few matches to people you'd think, oh, I didn't think he was as good as Alcaraz, um, but Alcaraz will then probably go. And beat Novak Djokovic at a Grand Slam, which nobody else would do. Last line from Astana, which is uh, to mark your card about young Luca Nardi. Uh, Luca Nardi is 19 years of age. He is now ranked number 132 in the world, which is a career high ranking. Um, He is... uh, You have to go down as low as him to find a player younger than Carlos Alcaraz, the world number one in the rankings. Love that stat. And the reason that we're talking about him is because, A, well, he qualified last week in Astana, beats David Goffin along the way. David Goffin then ends up getting in as a lucky loser and beating Carlos Alcaraz. I think that's what you call making the most of an opportunity. Uh, Nardi then... Although he did then lose to Adrian Manorino. He did, yes, he did. I was gonna, was gonna leave that out for him. <laughs> anyway, uh, Nardi ends up uh, reaching the round of sixteen, where he loses in two tiebreak sets to Stefano Tsitsipas. Um, we think, as much as we can think at this sort of early stage of development of a young player, we think he's the real deal, don't we? Yes. 
What do you think, Matt? <laughs> do you know, honestly, I have not really watched him yet because all of that was happening while I was while I was moving. But I do trust you and I do trust Catherine and I do trust Catherine's brother, who is the guy who's gone biggest on him. He's, he, Catherine's brother has predicted he'll be top 20 at the end of next year, I believe. And he did that before last yes. week's results in Astana, which was that. That's why we were already aware of his existence before last week's results, um, and then those happened. Um, David's potted summary on our WhatsApp group Alka Rasmataz uh, about uh, Nardi's match with Sitsipas was the only bloke to have any break points was Nardi. Physically, he looks very lightweight, Goffan-like for when he was 19, but he hits a lovely clean ball and has nice touch. Sitsipas was stressed out and celebrated like he'd won a last 16 at a Grand Slam tournament. Uh, a Grand Slam tournament, uh, and my brother added, his arms are like spaghetti. But he finds great angles and has the magic thing where he seems to play better under pressure, apart from when he dropped a bollock in the tie break. <laughs> Laid an egg. Yeah. H- highlights yeah. from the WhatsApp group there. and uh, <laughs> Yes, I think I put it better than I would have done if I'd have just said it now. So well done me. Yeah. Yeah, well done you. Anyway, one to watch, one to watch. Um, we had what well, we have one last event to wrap up. That was uh, an ATP 500 event in Tokyo, uh, won by Taylor Fritz, his third title of the year. He beat Francis Tiafo seven six seven six, which is significant in in many ways. In the final, um, he beat him. He won two tie breaks against Francis Tiafo, which, let me tell you, takes some doing. That's the equivalent of Krejcikova beating Sviontek in a final. Tiafo does not lose tie breaks slash labor breakers. Uh, so that a massive result for Taylor Fritz, who is now also a top 10 player and is very much a player that, that has the carrot of uh, Turin in the ATP finals now dangling in front of him, it feels like he probably should be in that Turin field to me, David, the yeah. Indian Wells champion. It feels like that would look right. Yes, I, I think that's true uh, because he's he had his huge breakout win at Indian Wells earlier this year and he didn't just go away, which I think is quite easy to do. I mean, OK, he hasn't performed to that level again uh, until now, but... This this title, I think, was significant. And, I mean, I love the way he celebrated it. I love the way he he instantly knew that he was a top 10 player and mm. that really meant something to him. And, and he was he was shouting that out to his support team. I'm a top 10 player, you know, like in, a, in disbelief. And all that effort that I've been trying to do this for years and now I'm there. And I think that's a great kind of advertisement for that achievement. Um, but also the fact that he, he tweeted earlier on in the week when he won his first round match that he just comes straight out of a week long quarantine to get into this tournament. And now he'd won this match and he was really pleased with that turnaround because, you know, it's a, it's a reminder, isn't it? Of how tough all that was a year ago, two years ago. And here he was doing it again. And, and he's gone and won the tournament in a really strong tournament again. And he's, he's beaten Denis Shapovalov despite being three, one down in the third set in the semis. And then he's taking on Tiafo who's, who's just, always showing up for the big matches these days. I think it's a really, really impressive win for Fritz. Yeah, me too. Not only was he in quarantine, he was in quarantine in a different country on the morning of his match. He had to get from South Korea to Tokyo and then play a match that same day. It was it was pretty unbelievable effort. He, do, he does these I know. unbelievable things, doesn't <laughs> yeah. he, Taylor Fritz? He goes from hospital bed to... To winning matches at Wimbledon in the space of about forty-eight hours, and in you know, agony on the practice court, he, he wins to beating Indian Nadal. Wells despite mm. shrieking in pain on the practice court that morning. He's he's definitely a Netflix guy. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, yeah, there's some kind of observer effect going on there, I think. Um, but he had a little bit of a break because he was due to play Nick Kyrgios in the quarterfinals. Nick Kyrgios pulled out, but. Um, other than that, he was he was exceptional 
the entire week. He was he was definitely the better player in the final. Um, he was the one who served better, had more break points. Colin Fleming was on the commentary and he just said that he seemed a bit clearer in what he wanted to do on the court. And I thought that was quite a good summation. Um, but it felt like a really significant final to me, actually, because it was the biggest between two Americans on the ATP tour for 12 years. Um, not since Memphis in 2010, that was a 500 event then, had there been a 500 event uh, between two Americans on the ATP tour in the final. And I just think the more Tiafo and Fritz and Paul all push each other, I just think that's that's going to be good. Um, great to have Tiafo backing up what he did at the US Open in very different circumstances you know there was no New York electricity night sessions to get him going and yet he played really really well so yeah it was it was um it was a really good week actually there as well and and I particularly enjoyed I just wanted to say because we often complain about it when this doesn't happen the way the finals all lined up one after the other on on Sunday you know obviously different time zones helped with that but I literally went from watching Tokyo right into Astana, into Ostrava. It was brilliant, wasn't it? It was do, perfect. Do, the thing is, I don't trust that that wasn't a happy accident. Yeah, because when there was a similar time zone, they clashed and I couldn't watch uh, Monastir. Yeah. Mm. But mm. anyway, it I enjoyed was great. it. And tennis, take note. I've just remembered, by the way, I'm having a, a memory from Indian Wells, which is that Taylor Fritz has an extraordinary tie-break record as well. And in particular... An amazing deciding yes. set tiebreak record. Yes. Having, which obviously this didn't go to a deciding set, but just having that ghost of a memory, I thought, <laughs> I'd, thought I'd share it. Um, just last couple of bits of news for you. You mentioned Nick Kyrgios, who pulled out in Tokyo. Um, there was an update on his court case this week. Um, the following was tweeted by Simon Atkinson, uh, BBC digital video journalist and news producer covering Australia and New Zealand. Uh, he said that lawyers for Nick Kyrgios have said they will be applying to have a common assault charge against him thrown out on mental health grounds. The case has been adjourned for now. Um, as we said, uh, Kyrgios played in the Japan Open. He wasn't required to attend the hearing in Canberra where uh, this application was made. His lawyer said he was making the application after reviewing his client's medical history since 2015, including public disclosures of his mental health struggles. Uh, the application to throw out Nick Kyrgios's criminal case will be heard on February 3rd, the week after the 2023 Australian Open. Uh, we have a small correction to make uh, which is that the WTA finals is in the city of Fort Worth, not the city of Dallas. Uh, thank you to Matthew and to Malcolm, the latter of whom informed us that uh, Fort Worth is a city of a million people. And while it is part of the Fort Worth-Dallas metropolitan area, it's not in the city of Dar Dallas. Um, I think there's a couple of things happening here. I think, one, the definition of city in America is different to here isn't it we are somewhat misunderstanding uh and two it's the sort of london luton situation isn't it because the airport is dallas fort worth or fort worth dallas um but london luton is also an airport and luton is not in london um <clears throat> Uh, news from Montreal, or Canada rather, Katie uh, Spellman, a uh, well-known tennis PR person, tweeted, huge congratulations to Valérie Tetrault, uh, who was formerly the Director of Communications for Tennis Canada uh, and has now been made Tournament Director of the National Bank Open presented by Rogers in Montreal, that after Eugène Lapierre. Uh, announced that he is stepping down from that role. And uh, that makes Val, as Katie Spellman calls her, the first female tournament director in Montreal. And she says she's one of the most wonderful people I've had the pleasure to work with in tennis. So that is lovely news. 
Um, I will just uh, whiz through the tournaments that we have going on this week in the tennis world. An incredible field, as I mentioned earlier, in San Diego, even if, if Iga Svantec does uh, end up withdrawing. Uh, there's Rabakna and Muguruza facing off in the first round. Andrescu against Sam Sonoma is round one winner, most likely to play Coco Goff. Leila Fernandez takes on Dari Kazakina. Kudamitova Stevens with the winner to face Sabalenka. Uh, Caroline Garcia against Danielle Collins. It's it's a ridiculous draw in San Diego. Uh, there's the uh, WTA 250 event happening in Romania, Transylvania. Angelina Kalinina, or Kalinina, I think it is, is the second seed. And she faces Eugenie Bouchard in round one. And for backhandless aficionados, there is uh, Victoria Golubic against Diane Parry as an opening round match. And for chaotic drama aficionados, there's Tamara <laughs> Korpach against Diana Ostromska in the first round. Uh, Emma Adekanu uh, is withdrawn from that event with a wrist injury. We're hearing that she's also out of Guadalajara, but uh, hot off the press, she is in the Billie Jean King Cup squad for the finals in Glasgow, uh, which was announced this morning uh, there's an ATP a new ATP 250 event in Gijon uh, Andre Rublev and Pavle Karenia Busta are the top two seeds we've got Andy Murray against Alejandro Davidovich Vakina in round one Dominic Team also playing uh, and a new ATP event in Florence as well Felix Auger Elisim and Matteo Berrettini are the top two seeds uh, and just finally we have um a bit of sad news uh, from the world of tennis journalism, uh, which is that Barry Newcomb, who covered more than 50 Wimbledons for a number of publications, The Evening Standard, Sunday Express and The Sunday Times, he has sadly died. Um, he was chair for both the British Tennis Journalists Association and the Sports Journalists Association. And uh, Chris Jones, who, like Barry, covers both tennis and rugby, said that Barry was a friend, mentor and travelling companion for his entire sporting life. David, you knew Barry well. Yeah, I, I did. And um, I think what Chris has written in, a, in an obituary that's just been posted actually on the British Tennis Journalists Association website is that everybody who talks about him and remembers him describes him as a lovely man. And that's certainly how I knew him. And and he was he was there when I first came on the tour. And, and he, he used to edit the, the official programme at Queen's for a number of years. Just a really nice bloke, as well as being a, an excellent reporter. And and yeah, he'll he'll be he'll be sadly missed by us all. Yeah, here here. Um, that's it, folks. That is it for your weekly tennis podcast. Uh, if only to say that we have mascots for this week, and they are. I love this. They are named after tennis players. They are cats Petra and Angie. Owned by Kathy O'Grady, and they're of course, says Kathy, named after Petra Kvitova and Angelique Kerber. And uh, it isn't specified that they are sisters, but I'm looking at a picture of them, and if they're not siblings, they're then related. I don't, I don't understand <laughs> genetics. They simply must be sisters, uh, and they are lovely. They looked like they would sit on my lap, and we'd all have a very nice time. So thank you, Cathy, for bringing uh, Petra and Angie into our lives. We'll pop a picture of them in the newsletter and you can um, take your own view on whether they're related. They definitely are related. Uh, we have our mascots. David has Darwin. Right, Darwin. Uh, Matt has the dearly departed Gerald. And uh, I've got Carter. And uh, Carter, you're welcome. <laughs> Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have Chris Albert-Lee and Kyle Weingartner as our executive producers and top blokes. And we've got shout outs. We have Brittany No, who is in San Francisco. Oh, Brittany. Oh, lovely. I loved going to San Francisco when I was a kid. Brittany has been a listener since the beginning and has been meaning to become an official friend for far too long, she says. The pod brings me joy and please never stop. 
Oh, don't worry, Brittany. No plans to ever stop. And and she Um, became a friend, Catherine, even though she listened to episode one. I know. I was going to say, Brittany's listened to all the pods before Matt. (laughs) She actually said she's been a listener since 2011, which would be impressive. (laughs) Because we started in 2012. Mm. uh... (laughs) It was in David's head in 2011. Brittany Brittany made you living rent-free in David's head. Uh, hello, Brittany, and thank you. We've also got Stacy Patton, who is from Dallas in Texas. Ah, and hello, Stacy. Stacy said that she met Catherine at Indian Wells, and Catherine was kind enough to take a picture with me, and I promised Aww. to become a friend of the podcast. I think I remember that actually. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, hello, Stacy. Hello, Stacy. Uh, of course, we've just established that I w- had it not been for our correction earlier in the pod, I would have excitedly said the WTA finals is coming to Dallas. Uh, but of course, the WTA finals is coming near you, Stacey, to Fort Worth. Uh, but I'm sure that's local enough that um, maybe you can go. I hope so. Tell us how it is. Uh, hello, Stacey. Thank you. And the final shout outs today are Neil and Pat Roberts, who are my mum and dad. Oh, right, Neil and did Pat. You know that, did you know that was coming, Matt? I did. Matt's moved I look out, up but don't worry. <laughs> You've got the most excellent son. <laughs> you really do, Neil and Pat. You had a, a, a taste of what the pod was like, BM, and uh, no good. Let's never go back to those dark, dark days. Pat, Neil, thank you for bringing Matt into our lives and for supporting the pod. Uh, That's it, folks, for your weekly dose of tennis. Of course, the tennis world keeps on turning, and so do we. We'll be back next week. Uh, with an update on all things that have happened in the tennis world. In the meantime, if you want to subscribe to the newsletter, become a friend. The link to do both those things is in our show notes. And we we highly recommend it. And uh, until then, we'll speak to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 